This is episode 92 of Alohomora for July 12, 2014. Hey guys, welcome to another great episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest host today is none other than Miss Megan Barrow. She runs Magical Menagerie, another Harry Potter news site, and also Matthew-Lewis.com. Am I right? Right. Right. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a super shy person, so it is a miracle that Caleb and Kat have convinced me to guest host, and I am, I'm not sure what my house is. I think I'm a Gryffindor, but Pottermore sorted me into Ravenclaw, so I'm kind of a mix of both of those. A Ravendor. Yes. A Gryffindor. Yeah. I think I like Ravendor better. Ravendor. Okay, fair enough. Cool, cool. Awesome. So, Megan was also at the special media preview event with Kat and I in Orlando not too long ago. Megan, what was your favorite part about Diagon Alley? Oh, I think just walking in and seeing how big it was, like you weren't even in a theme park when you walked in. It's just insane. I've seen some tweets from people who have been there over the last couple days and they're like, when you leave, you forget that you're at a theme park because you can't, because the buildings are so tall, you can't see the outside world. So you kind of forget that you're in Orlando and you truly, truly think that you're in Diagon Alley, which is so legit. It's not even funny. It's so cool to see all the pictures and tweets and posts from people the past, like, um, today and yesterday, because the grand opening was yesterday when we're recording this, and to see, like, it mimic what we experienced just a few weeks ago. It's just really funny. Yeah. For, for those listening, if you haven't seen it, um, we put together a post of our selfie reactions um, to walking into Diagon Alley for the first time or to seeing things for the first time um, over on MuggleNet, and it's pretty hilarious, so you should definitely go check that out. And, um, you know, while you're waiting to do that or going to look at that, we're going to remind you to read Chapter 15 of Order of the Phoenix, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. 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 However you want to say it. Because that's the chapter we're covering this week. So be sure to read it for no a maximum. How, no matter yeah. how you pronounce it. Exactly. No matter how. You know I pronounce everything wrong. <laughs> you, know that, you know I do. But, of course, before getting into this week's chapter, we're going to recap uh, last week's uh, discussion from chapter 14 percy and padfoot but before i get into that i want to make sure and do a very quick shout out to uh two lovely ladies that i ran into at my local albuquerque comic expo kiki and rose who were super awesome they were the only other two people in harry potter costumes at that convention yeah i saw your special feature on the app yeah they were they were very awesome ladies to run into um and i wanted to make sure and Shout out to them for having such a nice chat with me because me and my friends basically chased them down when we saw them. <laughs> <laughs> so, had they heard well, of the show or MuggleNet or anything? No, no, they. they oh. I think they knew about MuggleNet, but they didn't know about uh, the show. So, but I, I let them know and all that jazz. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice if I can give them a little shout out on the show, and because there, there just wasn't that much Potter representation there. So the fact that those two went out in like house robes was pretty awesome. Well, let's hope they are listening now, and I aloha, they, ladies. I hope they are. So, but uh, so let's go back to chapter fourteen, Percy and Padfoot, and some of the comments that you listeners left 
on that episode. Uh, the first one comes from Surprisingly Swooshy uh, in response to the discussion about Percy's letter. Uh, and this was from the main site. There was a lot of discussion on both the main site and the forums about Percy's letter. And I know so, who's going to have an opinion on this. Oh, uh, yes. Can't imagine. So, so do I. Who could it be? <laughs> Surprisingly, Swishy says, I'd like to stick up for Percy a bit here and say that it really does sound as though the minister set out a sugar trap for him. Percy gives quite a few name drops. Uh, to quote Percy's letter, I only just heard from no less than the Minister of Magic himself that you have become a Hogwarts prefect. And another quote from the letter, from something the minister let slip when telling me, I gathered that you are still seeing a lot of Harry Potter. Percy's still a complete prat. But it sounds like Fudge was doing his best to manipulate him here. I wouldn't be surprised if Fudge had been the one to insinuate what might happen if Ron dropped Harry and joined Umbridge, and what would happen if he didn't. From Percy's perspective, the Minister of Magic was showing concern for his little brother, while everyone else in his family had been blacklisted. He seems to really want his little brother on his side, and this horrible, completely misguided letter was well-intentioned, at least. And this was actually a pretty predominant view on both the main site and the forum, so I wanted to get your guys' read on that with the letter if Percy was actually trying to be a good brother here or if he was just being a jerk face. I'm going to let Caleb go. So. Well, I still hurt, hate Percy with all of my being. Um, <laughs> but my thought on this, I um, this person definitely puts out a good thought about this. But one of my core beliefs as like just Caleb belief <laughs> is that um, like your past or certain circumstances may do something to explain your behaviors, but it does not justify it. Mm. And I think this plays, um, this is in play here with Percy that, I mean, even I, I could totally see the fact that Fudge is manipulating him here, but it doesn't change the fact that Percy put himself on course to be in that position because of how horrible he was to his family. And he still says horrible things about his family in this letter. Mm-hmm. So, and he also just has the assumption that his parents owe him an apology, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely the potential of Fudge playing things around. Though I don't know, Fudge isn't that smart, so let's not give him too much credit. <laughs> well, well, he is conniving, and you know this is pretty yeah. manipulative. And Percy is right up. You know he's 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 ripe for manipulation. That's what I was mm-hmm. trying to say. Yeah, he's he's impressionable for mm-hmm. the minister. Well, True. and the. The other interesting thing that quite a, again, quite a few people had a lot to say on this particular topic, and one of the interesting things that was noted was that um, out of uh, Ron's siblings, Percy is the only one to actually, as far as we see, congratulate Ron for becoming a prefect. Um, every other one of his siblings, uh, with the exception, of course, of Bill and Charlie, who we don't hear anything from, um, have a negative reaction to Ron becoming a prefect. Um, and his mother is really the only one that kind of shows pretty blatant open support of it. Even the other order members are questioning why Ron got the position. When do we see Ginny's reaction? Only uh, we ever do, do we? She oh. she reacts with displeasure, similar to Fred and George. Oh. She's not as vocal, mm. but she's she's not happy, um, according to the book. So she certainly doesn't congratulate him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think obviously his his dad and probably his older brothers would be proud of him, mm-hmm. and 
and we don't see those moments. And that's probably a choice by Joe to set up this moment to bring about like what you're saying. Like there's a clear like um, juxtaposition here where Percy is the only one who's really for really like pouring out his congratulations to Ron. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even in the end. The sad part about that is it's not even a true congratulations to right, Ron. Exactly. So since it's saying, well, you also should ditch your best friend as well. So, yeah, Megan, def- what are your thoughts on Percy? I hate Percy. Yes. <laughs> okay. He's <Caleb>. just so <laughs> annoying. But I do think that he was thinking with Ron in mind that he wanted to help Ron, but he's still just, he wants everyone to seem normal and it's, he's doing it for selfish reasons, I think. Yeah. Mm. No, I completely agree. There's a ton of validity to this comment from surprisingly swishy. <laughs> So, moving on from Percy, since he is just making us all so enraged right now, uh, we'll go to a different topic, which will probably also make us enraged. Uh, this <laughs> one <laughs> this one comes from Golden Marauder on the forums, and is in regards to the bit of racism that we saw from the Slytherins uh, on last week's episode. Uh, the uh, Golden Marauder says, There is already that mentality in Pansy's behavior. This is, of course, in response to Pansy... Um, uh, making a remark about uh, Angelina Johnson's presumed, uh, uh, what would they be called, cornrow braids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she calls them like worms that are coming out of her head. Mm-hmm. Um, but Golden Marauder says there's already that mentality in Pansy's behavior, and it's likely that kind of behavior is prevalent in the Slytherin common room, so it's not all, at all out of character for Pansy to behave like that, which got me thinking. Are there any other mentions of racism as we know it? You know, based on religion, skin color, etc. I know the pure blood mindset is, in many ways, kind of the wizard's form of racism. But do you think racism, as muggles know it, is a problem in the Harry Potter universe? Aside from that comment of Pansy's, are there any instances where we get a hint that this is a problem in the wizarding world? We also had a similar comment I wanted to highlight just from Hufflepug as well, who asked similar questions about racial uh, racial segregation, bullying based on sexual orientation, sexist jokes, etc. This is definitely a pretty, I mean, I think pretty blatant um, racist remark by Pansy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't think of anything that really reaches this level in the series elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's why, I think that's why the hosts last week kind of were, found it pretty standout, is because we don't really see this particular... M- "Quote unquote Muggle brand of racism in the series, because mm-hmm. um, most of that that we see that prejudice, that racism tends to be kind. Of, it has a mirror in the Wizarding world, um, with as the comment said, half blood status, pure blood, um, magical ability, but it doesn't seem to stretch necessarily to race or or sexual orientation or things of that nature. I, right. I think I think I've commented on this before when we've talked about the whole Dumbledore is gay issue, and mm-hmm. I think part of the reason it's really not in the books is because Joe doesn't want to make it a commentary about that. She already, you know, has commentaries on so many things and underlying tones and so many things in the book, and not mm-hmm. saying that it's not important to her or whatever, but I think that she had to pick her issues, and if she threw in yet another one, um, I think, yeah, I think the what, messages what might get muddled. Yeah, yeah and what you said at the end is really important, is that it's not that she doesn't care about those things, it's just not what her focus was, because I know, like, like this is still, like, one of the biggest criticisms I see of Joe, and it certainly was whenever she, you know, announced that Dumbledore is gay, that, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, 
I don't even know how they articulate the argument, but that it was a bad showing of Joe to not make it more of an issue to really show support for for right. that for that that fact in the books. And I don't think mm-hmm. it's her shying away from it. I mean, if you really know like who Joe is as a person, like the like what she does, then you know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just not what she wanted to focus on in the book. Yeah, she got a lot of crap for not making him like a a model for the gay community or whatever. But that's that wasn't what she wanted it to be about. So mm-hmm. that's why she didn't do it. And well, I respect and, that completely. Well, and I think, too, in, as far as specifically the Dumbledore issue goes, uh, you have to remember that, you know, the book came out in 2007. And while that may not seem like a long time ago, uh, there were a lot of it wasn't it wasn't 2014 yeah um, and things were different especially as far as uh, children's literature goes and and including gay characters and how you address that and i'm sure we'll get a lot more into that in deathly hallows um Mm -hmm. but it is it is definitely interesting the way that she chose to approach it and how it kind of came out as not really a thing in the book it was kind of an aftermath thing in the interviews um but actually i had found uh a quote from Rowling in uh it was from her uh, it was her from her Pottercast interview in 2007 after um Hallows was released and uh she had outed Dumbledore and she was asked this question in general actually she was asked more about um in respect to gay people in the wizarding world and she said that her view she said was uh the let's see the greatest taboo in the wizarding world is well for some wizards I mean, if we're talking about prejudiced people within the wizarding world, what they care most about is your blood status. So I think you could be gay, pure blood, and totally without any kind of criticism from the Lucius Malfoys of the world. I don't think that it would be something that would interest him. I don't think that it would be something that would interest him in the slightest. Uh, but you know, I can't answer for all witches and wizards because I think, in matters of the heart, it would be directly parallel to our world. Hmm. So that's kind of the answer we got from that. And she didn't go into, you know, additional social issues. But I think she kind of hit on what we said, which is that what she's already put there is meant to be a parallel to that anyway. Um, But uh, so that's, you know, something to keep an eye on, something to think about as we go on throughout the series, especially with things that we've found out kind of post-Potter. And the last comment from last week's episode is from... Uh, I got transfigured into a rhubarb, one of our all-time favorite <laughs> usernames. Um, this is in response to Sirius's rebellious behavior and attitude. Um, this was on the main site, and there were additional thoughts contributed by Golden Marauder on the forums. Uh, I got transfigured into a rhubarb says, Sirius's remarks about Harry being less like James actually proves that Molly understands Sirius much better than we realize. She realizes immediately that Sirius was expecting Harry to be just like James. To me, Sirius has always treated Harry more of a chum rather than a godson whom he should protect. He fails to understand that Harry is a different person. He doesn't make an attempt to learn more about Harry. Um, And Golden Marauder had a uh, much lengthier comment um, with pretty much the same idea although continuously apologizing for bashing Sirius because she mentioned that she loves Sirius um but make sure and go check that out listeners on the forum but I just thought that was interesting because we did have a big discussion I know when Molly um spoke up against Sirius at the meetings um and everybody took pretty strong views about Molly's behavior in that instance yeah Um, so what do you guys think now that we have that 
we've had that moment with Sirius in the fireplace. I mean, yeah, I think that for me, there's no question that Molly has great insight into what she's doing. It's just mm-hmm. the way she handled that moment back at Grimall Place was so much. Mm. You mean the, the particular line about being out of Harry's life for 12 years? Yeah, right. <laughs> Something. I still think she was totally in the right, so I do. What do you think, Megan? Yeah, I think Sirius always thinks of Harry as just the new version of James. He does not see him as Harry. He's just trying to regain his friendship with James, pretty much, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, I mean, he never, got to, he never gets to really, as uh, I got transfigured into a rhubarb, best name ever, says. Um, <laughs> you know, he doesn't make any attempt to get to know Harry at mm-hmm. all. I mean, at all. He's there to protect him, quote-unquote protect him, but... Yeah. yeah, he pretty much yeah, it's just... It's pretty clear it's he just expects it to jump off where he and James left off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, when you think about it, it, he has been... He was he was jailed pretty closely after the whole incident, almost immediately after James and Lily died. And they were already fresh... They were only just fresh out of school when that happened, only by a few years. Um, yeah, so. and Sirius has been through a lot of emotional trauma and hasn't gotten to talk it out yet. So, mm-hmm. I mean... It's not altogether surprising that he doesn't have, like, social awareness altogether there. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, he's definitely scarred. He definitely needs some um, some therapy. For well, and in that way, you could say that, which uh, interesting thought that just came to my head, you could almost, in a way, perhaps compare Sirius and, and his views, how he views Harry to how Snape views Harry, and that Snape... Mm-hmm just sees Harry as a product of Lily and Sirius sees Harry as James. Um, They're not really seeing Harry the person. They're just seeing Harry as how he means to them in relation to other people. Wah, wah. Sad (laughs) Harry. Add add a little more to his sad little life. Nobody (laughs) sees Harry. We gotta add more legit sadness so that Harry, when he seems emo, as we always put it, he has legit reason (laughs) now. I mean, he has lots of legit reason. Okay, don't get me started. <laughs> so, but those were some great comments from last week. There were also plenty of others uh, that I didn't get to include. Some of the highlights, uh, some of the highlights I wanted to point out were from Axio Potassium, Allie Wood, Be the Leaf four five three. I really appreciate that Legend of Korra reference. Be the Leaf, Dolphin Patronus, Dust Charm, Elvis Gaunt, the Head Girl, and Sassy Hedwig. Additional topics that were discussed, absolutely fascinating things I wish I could have included, were uh, Squibs and Cats, Harry and Cho, Wizarding versus Muggle Astronomy, Quidditch Practice, and House Elves. And it is never too late to get in on that discussion if you weren't able to add your comments for that episode. They are over at the Alohomora main site and forums if you would like to join in. The House Elf discussion never ends, does it? I think it's it, no. I think it's there every single chapter. It's <laughs> and this there. this book it will definitely stick around for a while. Yes, yep. yes it will. <laughs> All right. Well, next up we are going to read some of your responses to last episode's question of the week and that question was Sirius says that the world is not split into good people and death eaters, but we want to know whether Umbridge would make a good death eater. Would Voldemort even want her to be involved? Or is she too egotistical and ambitious to work well as a subordinate? Let us know your thoughts. 
So there were a lot of great responses. Um, people like got into philosophy some. It was really cool to read. But our first response was from Sephra, and it says, She is indeed a bad guy. I mean, duh. But I agree. <laughs> If she were enlisted as a Death Eater, she'd either attempt a coup or be executed by Voldemort in a very short amount of time. I personally think she has a chemical imbalance. She blatantly enjoyed the pain of others in a way that made the Dark Lord seem downright tolerable. She'd never be a true subordinate for long. She was working without fudges or the school's interests in mind after one measly semester. I agree with Sirius's quote. The world isn't divided into just good people and Death Eaters. There's a whole sick center in between. It's like prisoners that kill child molesters when they arrive in jail. If Voldemort didn't take her out, another Death Eater would kill her. Wow. Mm. That <laughs> comment really went somewhere. Um, yeah. It's right. I mean, Sephra, you are correct, though. I actually completely agree with that. Hmm. I mean... I'm, I'm still no. kind of like mixed just because of what we see... In Deathly Hallows. Now, of course, she's not working directly for Voldemort. She's kind of working ancillary to what he's doing with the Ministry. And I assume, and that this is, you know, more things we don't necessarily have confirmed, which kind of makes her character even more frightening in Deathly Hallows, but she doesn't really ever confirm whether she knows what's the full extent of what's going on or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think she likes to pretend that she does. Yeah, there's definitely, and that's the, that's kind of what makes her so unnerving. Is there are so many things that come out of her mouth that you're not really sure what to trust. Um, ironically, seeing as she doesn't like people to tell lies. Um, but I don't. If if we had more confirmation on Hallow on what she was doing in Hallows, it would be interesting to see because, you know, she is serving what Voldemort wants um, just as much as she was serving what Fudge wants in Order. Because um, I don't think she really, as, as Sephra suggests, that Umbridge kind of gives up on, on what Fudge wants after a while. I think she's doing pretty much exactly what Fudge wants throughout a majority of this. Um, maybe until near the very end when she goes completely off the rails. Well, and we know that she gets a little nervous because she gets the locket and she lies about being from yeah. that family. So. Mm. We know that she gets a little nervous kind of about everything, but I think she still never abandons what she truly believes in. Whether that's aligned with Fudge or Voldemort is hard to say. Hmm. She she just seems really, in a way, I, and I'm hesitant to say this just again because we don't know enough about how her reasoning behind what she does sometimes, but in a way she's in part she strikes me like a pedigree in that she does it she gravitates to the person who has the most power in the room mm -hmm. um and she recognizes that in people like fudge and people in in the current administration under uh i believe it's is it pious thickness yes um but uh but I, again it's because i don't we don't know if she's doing it knowing what voldemort's up to or not so that makes it hard for me to say Hmm. Well, to flip it a little bit, Accio Potassium takes the other side of her being a good Death Eater and says, If we examine Professor Dolores Jane Umbridge's character, we would find that she has many of the qualifications for this radical movement. Dolores Umbridge already believes in some of the Dark Lord's ideologies about blood, and she has deeply held beliefs about the inferiority of half-breeds. She is shown to be completely loyal to those in a higher position of power— 
This holds true even with overwhelming evidence of the, of the contrary that the movement is wrong. Dolores Umbridge will go to great lengths to complete the order of, orders of the dictated power and will gladly step over traditional guidelines to complete such tasks. She has a strong desire to gain power in the wizarding world, and she has no problem with inflicting torture or soul death. Wait, what? I think they're referring to Dementor's soul death. (laughs) Okay. With inflicting torture or soul death among her enemies to acquire such a position in the wizarding world. So with my stated evidence, I think she would have been a great Death Eater. Yeah, see, she she carries the the general... She seems to carry the beliefs of a Death Eater in general. So in that way, as Exia Potassium is saying, she's kind of perfect for it. Yeah. Um, and I she mean, also has, like, the... She has the sweet outside, so people wouldn't suspect that she's a Death Eater, too. So she kind of can play both sides. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point, because I think, like, with this question, we have to be careful to not assume that to be a good Death Eater, you have to be on Bellatrix's level. There's clearly, like, <laughs> there's moles in the ministry, like Rookwood and other people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Narcissa. Yeah. Look at her. Well, we still don't know for sure she's a real Death Eater. Yeah, I think as far as we know, in fact, I want to say Roland confirmed that she's not a branded Death Eater. Yeah, um, but she's still in the cause. Yeah, she, she well, and that's the interesting thing, too, in this kind of setup is because uh, you could essentially say that umbridge was kind of at not at narcissus level but generally in that same area where she's not a death eater but she's doing death eater work um mm-hmm. so because voldemort's death eaters are actually a much more exclusive group of people um i think the movies really blow that out of proportion when it's like a field of death eaters but it's not they're just people who follow voldemort um, so there's that difference as well. You think there's only like a dozen Death Eaters or something, maybe? Well, I mean, in Goblet of Fire, they mm-hmm. had like the circle. So, I mean, yeah. that must be just like the main big guys that are like, you know, the ones that he wants with him when something's going to happen. The bosses, mm-hmm. the big yes. bads. Right. Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> and they run like ancillary units. Was that the right word? Ancillary? Yeah. They run like other little Death Eater units. Yeah. So it's like the mafia. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool, but (laughs) (laughs) y'all knew what I meant. So our last response comes from Diskid, and it says, I think Umbridge's problem is she likes to be the one who is in charge, and she also does not want to be the one to directly murder anyone. Being a Death Eater would require she not only torture people... She'd have to murder them as well. Mm, we'll come back to that. She seems to love torture, but I don't think she cares for murder so much. She's different from Bellatrix, who, st- who sadistically loves to torture, then she'll kill you. Umbridge only tortures. Her reasons for that, I have no idea. Of course, she'd send somebody to go kill Harry in a heartbeat, but she always seems to hold back on doing the murder herself. She would also be in submission to Voldemort. I don't think she likes the idea of doing whatever her master tells her to, or even having a master. In other words, I think she'd be a terrible Death Eater. She'd have trouble with murder, and she'd probably get herself killed by Voldemort by wanting to overrule him. Hmm. So similar to how we were just kind of pointing out, to be like a super effective Death Eater, I don't know if that's the right words I would use, but to be a Death Eater, you don't necessarily have to be um, always like torture, 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 kill, kill, kill. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously you have to be ready to kill people, but I don't know if you're like going on 
like murdering sprees. Right, because I mean, look at somebody like Lucius. He is obviously this what this person has described. Somebody who right. would have no problem torturing somebody, but isn't going to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I also don't really know if that's necessary. I mean, we don't see Umbridge killing people because obviously if she just off students in her rules <laughs> at Hogwarts, <laughs> that would kind of seal the deal on her. Um, and as far as we know, she's she may not be killing people directly in, in her job at the Ministry in Deathly Hallows, but she's pretty much, it's implied, sending them to their deaths. Um so she kind of plays more of a judge role. She seems to enjoy... The comment is correct in that she certainly does seem to enjoy kind of doling out what her power allows her to do. All right. Well, yeah, no, I mean, again, I I can't help but, you know, in, in, in kind of the way that this kid was going, I can't help but compare Umbridge to Pettigrew and that she does gravitate towards people with power. But And I think that's a great comparison, Kat, to, to Lucius in that she's not really one to get her hands dirty. But at the same time, I don't think she would be opposed to if Voldemort told her to, especially if she were to get something out of it. Right, yeah, she does She does seem to be motivated by reward. Yeah. Which is another important thing to note. And so. we are, we're, she is, she may not, like, be Bellatrix in the way that Bellatrix is super eccentric crazy, but I think we are still dealing with somebody who is unhinged to a large degree. Yeah, I would concur. <laughs> I would agree. Well, that does it for the responses for this past week's question of the week. And you can read a lot more great thoughts over on the Alohomora site because there are really some really well thought out stuff there. So check it out. Go on then, Professor. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Chapter 15. <clears throat> Continue. The Hogwarts High Inquisitor. Right. Well, if that's really the best you can do. <laughs> okay, so here we are. Chapter 15, Order of the Phoenix, Hogwarts High Inquisitor. Uh, in this chapter, there's actually kind of a lot that happens, yet nothing kind of happens. It's one of those chapters. Um, so, of course, right in the beginning, we learn that Umbridge is appointed the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. And then that she has the right to start inspecting professors. And so she does that. She inspects several professors throughout the uh, chapter. Harry gets a crap ton of attentions. Detentions, not attention. Detentions. He does get attention. And then he does detention. get attention. That's right. Too, too much, according to Molly Weasley, right? He already gets enough attention. No, but he gets a lot of detentions, like a week and then several days added on top of it. A lot. Um, there's a lot of discussion about the owls, and we get an explanation of the grades. And then, of course, um, right at the end, Hermione gets all fed up, and the Dumbledore's army concept is almost kind of born. Kind of. She talks him into thinking about it, at least. So, the first thing I really wanted to talk about is, of course, this Daily Prophet article, the one that Percy had alluded to in the last chapter. Um, you know, the title of it is, Ministry Seeks Educational Reform, Dolores Umbridge Appointed First Ever high inquisitor so there's a nice quote um in here that says in a surprise move last night the ministry of magic passed new legislation giving itself an unprecedented level of control at hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry and the i think the first thing that stood out to me was surprise move you know because obviously percy knew about it owls i don't know how fast they travel but 
he couldn't have known about it just that day. He probably knew about it, right? So it couldn't have been a surprise move. This was obviously preemptive. Oh, yeah. But that's exactly... Okay. This This is exactly the, the ministry's way of kind of keeping the public in check. Mm-hmm. Is to tell them that it's a surprise move, even though this has clearly been deliberated for a while now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think is what what that means in that in terms of that yeah that makes sense um we also learned in this article that fudge is actually the one who passed the law who appointed umbridge um you know to teaching staff at hogwarts it was educational decree 22 um do you guys think dumbledore had actually really not found somebody or was this i mean obviously this has to do with fudge trying to insert himself but do you think there was a teacher do you think Hmm. That he was usurped? Usur- usurped. Yeah, that's the right word. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I feel like we would have an idea if there was another person. You think so? I would think so. Well, I, li- I like that in that way, The like, again, with this way that the ministry is posing this article. I like that it's they're acting like they're like, oh, well, we were trying to help Dumbledore. Because nobody wanted the job. So actually, we're assisting him. Um, yeah, gross. But I, so in that, you know, in that way, I guess if you were to say that, yeah, he couldn't find somebody. And by books three and four, they are really saying that nobody wants the job anymore. Because um, people comment that Moody is like the height of crazy to be taking the job. Um, right. Of course, he's not really Moody, but... Because it's been, like, how many years since the curse w- the curse was put on it? A long well, time. It's older gone. than Harry is. So. 16 years, I would think, because that's when Trelawney was named divination professor, and that was around the time that Voldemort... Well, actually, no, even before that, Voldemort wanted to Teach. have the job. Yeah, it wasn't too long after he left Hogwarts. Yeah. Mm. So right. it's been a while. Yeah, so I don't... So I'm su- I guess I'm surprised that he even found who he did find. So mm-hmm. so wait, so Quirrell was only there a year? No, Quirrell uh, taught a different position before that year. He was the Muggle oh, that's teacher. Right. That's um, right. I that's believe. Right. So yeah. But but the interesting thing with this too is that in a way you would think that perhaps Dumbledore would be comforted at least to know that Umbridge isn't going to last more than a year. <laughs> so I mean, that is the sunny side of things, I suppose. Yeah, because I think we did suggest, or somebody suggested in a previous episode, that Dumbledore actually hired Umbridge because he knew that... Uh, if it wasn't one of us, it was in the comments on an episode that Dumbledore hired her knowing that she would lose the job after a year. But of course, yeah. clearly this confirms that that was not the case. Yeah, he probably, like, was more okay with it than he would have been probably <laughs> knowing knowing that anyway yeah um yeah but as you mentioned there are wizards that are resigning from mm-hmm. um the wizen gamo gamot however you say again pronunciation not my not my <laughs> forte <laughs> um which i thought was really nice that you know people are actually you know retiring or resigning in pro- um, protest of you know this high inquisitor at hogwarts or whatever um I, I yeah. guess they are the uh, Democrats of the Wizarding World. Um. Well, and did the, does the book <laughs> confirm, or did we find out later that because I know one of them who resigns is Griselda Marchbanks, mm-hmm. um, and I know we definitively found out through Rowling's old site that she is the administrator of the tests. 
um, of of testing in the wizarding world. She has a, she is involved in that department. Right? Um, isn't she the one that Malfoy brags about knowing? She, she might be. I think she actually might be. Yeah. So, and of and, course, then there's Tiberius Ogden as well, who gets mentioned later. Um, so, so yeah, the the two people who are pretty close to Hogwarts and and seem to like how it runs are the ones who, of course, resign. Right. Ogden. That name comes up somewhere else. Oh, that's Fire the whiskey. guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think that he's somewhere else, too, though. Isn't he the guy, isn't he the ministry worker that goes to visit the Gaunts in the sixth book? Bob Ogden? Bob Ogden. There you go. There's a story there. <laughs> there must be a story there. Um, and I guess the last thing, I was trying to find evidence on this, but did Rita Skeeter write this article? I don't think so. Because she's not writing. We don't get the author, but I don't. I would assume it's not her. Yeah, it doesn't sound like her usual uh, flair is added to it. Uh, yes, we right. just had. We've just had fresh writing from her recently. So let's not get started on that because that is. <laughs> we'll go there later, but um, yeah. well, no, and and uh, Hermione confirms that Reed has been banned from writing for a year, right? Right, that's like, that's what I was saying. So, so I wanted to, I guess. Yeah, we never get we never get authors for other daily profit articles except when Rita writes. Then we know who's writing. Right. Well, because Rita's the commentary, right? Yeah, yeah. She's the she's the commentary. So. Um. Okay. Yeah. So that was quite the article. I like. We even get the mentions of of Lupin and Hagrid and Moody in there. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, whatever. So the next thing I wanted to um, bring up here and talk about was the owls. So there's this whole scene that takes place in potions class where Harry gets back a large spiky D on his, uh, I believe it's moonstone paper. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Because, yeah. wait, yes, that was the word that my iPad said two episodes ago. I remember I remember <laughs> the moonstones. Um so we get this whole explanation of the grades, which I which I always found kind of fascinating and interesting, with quotes around it. Interesting. Um, so highest grade, as we know, is outstanding, and then there's exceeds, exceeds expectations, acceptable, which is the last passing grade, and then there's a P, which, as um, I think it's Fred <laughs> says, there's nothing wrong with a good healthy P. <laughs> oh, Joe. Indeed. And then there's D for dreadful and T, supposedly T, for troll. Um, so who the hell came up with these? Because they are very amusing. <laughs> and I completely enjoy them. And also, like, is there, like, a, a point system? Like, how how do they figure out, you think, like, how you fall in where? Or is it just, like, willy-nilly? Like, somebody like Snape can give Harry huh. a D because he hates him. Well, we know that's true, but... Well... I, I assumed it was similar to... See, this is hard for me to compare, of course, because I, you know, I grew up with an American grading system. Um, oh, right. Whatever the Brits might have might have as their grading system, but I assumed it was oh, on yeah. a percentage scale. Because um, that's how, how that's how letter grades are assigned, it, at least over here in, in America, is that you a certain percentage lands you by into a certain letter. Right. Um, but which was funny because, of course, when 
I think I think it's later when Harry gets another report from another class and he gets an A, and I was like, oh, he did so good, and then I was like, oh, no, wait, nope, that's just okay by the <laughs> standard. <laughs> that's right. acceptable. He just we need, that's we need like a, a yeah, we need a Brit to tell us how this works. Yeah, because that would be like a A would be more comparable to a C, um, by this standard. So right. yeah, I I I I mean I, I imagine I guess that this. Like we were talking about with Griselda Marchbanks, I would think that that department came up with the grading system. It is pretty hilarious. There is always kind of that element of bizarreness to wizard systems. Troll, I mean. <laughs> yeah, Joe, tell us on Pottermore how long this system's even been around, because I want some history here. Yeah. Well, and What? Oh, go ahead, Cap. No, you go. Well, I was going to say, too... I, I don't think it is quite willy-nilly because I was thinking about, you know, with Hare getting such awful grades from Snape as we see, um, Harry still manages to pass potions, um, we find out next year. So, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, and he doesn't do, like, badly. He he passes pretty well. So I... I it's, it, it, I wouldn't say it's willy-nilly because there must be other things that Harry's doing right and that Snape is giving him like correct... I, I do believe Snape is correctly grading him for all of Snape's faults. I don't think he... A dreadful, though? Well, yeah. Harry Harry says that he kind of just whips that essay out without thinking. Um, yeah, but so does Ron. Yeah, that's what I, I... I was so surprised that Ron does better than Harry. <laughs> that is pretty well, Ron probably had Hermione edits. Some late night edits. <laughs> well, and, uh-huh. and to Ron may know more than we give him credit for just because he's been in the wizarding world for longer than Harry has. He may just have Truth. things like stored in his head that he can just throw out there that Harry doesn't have. That's true. So True enough. And then um, <clears throat> I guess the next thing that stood out to me was when Hermione is trying to get out of them what grades they got <laughs> on the papers. And and she was like, well, I, I guess, you know, I, sh- I would have been thrilled if I'd gotten a no, but I, I mean, I know that <laughs> I wouldn't have because he's marking to owl standards. Yeah. So, like, why is that not always the standard? I, I guess I just, I'd never heard of, I guess, in America or the maybe crappy school I went to, I don't know, but there wasn't different grading scales depending on what you were doing well well when you're younger you usually get like check check plus check Mm. minus and then you go move to abc and stuff so maybe it's something like that that's true i feel like i have kind of seen something like this before possibly in my film classes where and maybe even in other college classes where it's just that some teachers depending on what levels I, i was at maybe like a 100 versus a 300 level class Um, the grading level is, well, actually, no, I'm thinking actually of high school because at uh, my high school, I went to a charter school and they actually, um, bumped up the percentage requirements for certain letter grades. Um, so I don't remember the exact ranges. I used to know them by heart. Um, but it was a tougher grading system. But that wasn't like an AP class or something, I assume. No, it was our general grading system because our col- our our high school was a college prep high school. Um, okay. So they were trying to grade harder based on what they thought the standards would be for college. Right, but that's not that's not on a 
Right, that makes sense. But this is on like a it seems like a project to project basis. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I don't know. It just seems kind of out of place. I mean, it could also be like the homework assignments are just like, did you do it? And then like this essay was more like kind of like a take home test or something, maybe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Because homework, you don't really usually get graded on. It's just your teacher checks to make sure you did it and didn't like skim through it really quickly. Yeah, see, I was an art student, so I never had to like write papers and stuff. Yeah, most of I my just... classes I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, oh, did you finish your 3D project? Yeah, I did. Great. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like, so I guess I'm not used to this whole grading thing. Yeah, I had a lot of grading because I was a science major, so a lot of, like, smaller assignments and then big tests, so. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah, I had a lot of that, too, in film. Um, so speaking of classes, um, in this chapter, as I mentioned earlier, we learned that Umbridge is going to start inspecting professors. And um, in this chapter, we see three lovely inspections, <laughs> each very different, each very different from the other. Uh, the first one, of course, is Trelawney. And, you know, she is kind of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Befuddled at her best. <laughs> so, of course, when poor Umbridge is standing over her, um, you know, things just go from worse to horrific. Um, of course, Umbridge goes with the intimidation method for Trelawney because, you know, I, th- I think she sees her the same way that we see her as kind of this kooky, crazy lady who wears, you know, Afghans around even when it's 100 degrees outside. Um, <laughs> so, I, no, I, guess, I mean, I guess that works for Umbridge, right? Because she kind of gets the result that she's looking for, right? Because she, she asks is- about... She asks she, about her great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, and is like, oh, you haven't, you know, it skips three generations, blah, blah, blah. And um, Yeah, I love that line when Trelawney's <laughs> like, sometimes the inner eye skips three generations. Yeah, <laughs> come on, Trelawney, you could be a little less obvious. Come on. <laughs> a little less, you know. Um, so, but I think kind of what stood out to me here is that Umbridge is really asking her a lot of not like personal questions, but definitely like background questions kind of about her life and her history and her time at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um, is this purely for the, um, I guess, for the evaluation? Or do we think that she's trying to get some sort of information from Trelawney? Does she know anything about Trelawney and the possible... I mean, we already know she's not working for Voldemort, but... You guys know where I'm going with this. What does she know? What does she not know? What is she doing? I mean, she also could just be trying to humiliate her because maybe in her eyes, being a seer is kind of like being a half-breed sort of thing. And she's like prejudiced against that. Yeah, that's what I always felt. Yeah. Like she just really thrives in this moment of being able to subvert her, be condescending in a very passive way. Ugh, umbrage. I think think that is an interesting thing to put out that maybe she's trying to get more out of Trelawney because what's interesting of course about Umbridge prying into why Trelawney is even at Hogwarts is that we will find out at the end of the book exactly why she is working right. at Hogwarts. Because only Dumbledore and Snape know really, that, right? Really know. Yeah. Because yeah. the funny thing is Trelawney doesn't... And I actually was listening to an older episode from Prisoner where you guys were talking about whether you thought Trelawney is even self-aware that she actually has made 
real predictions. And from what you guys gathered in that episode, she isn't. Um, which I think is correct, because when she makes the prediction in Prisoner about Pettigrew, she doesn't even remember she said it. She thinks she fell asleep. Um, yeah, she just goes into like the trances and just doesn't remember anything she says. Mm-hmm. So if so, really in that way, if Umbridge was trying to get information out of her, she wouldn't get very anything valuable from her anyway. Right. Because she doesn't even know why. She's just there. She, I imagine, assumes she's there because of the goodness of Dumbledore's heart. So. Does Voldemort know that she's the one who made the prophecy? I mean, Snape definitely could have told him, but I have a feeling he did not. Yeah, me too, actually. Well, Otherwise, I, mean, if- I, f- I feel like she would have been kind of coveted more by Voldemort, yeah, like, right? Yeah, like Slughorn is later on. Wait, yeah. but yeah. hold on a second. They have to. He has to know because otherwise, why would the Death Eaters be getting into the Department of Mysteries? Well, that's just to try and get the prophecy. But they don't. I don't think that Voldemort knows who, who made did the it. prophecy. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, they know that without. They can know that without knowing it's her. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because does I mean Snape? Snape definitely knows it was her, right? Yeah, because he overheard it. Yeah. Right. I mean, like she doesn't. She sound different when she actually makes predictions though she right. has like, and, a weirder voice so he might the, not have known and the door was closed so i don't think he saw her yeah right? he, mm. he, he may have only found that so out he definitely knows now because he's in dumbledore's inner circle but maybe not originally yeah yeah right so it's probably probably not likely that voldemort knows it was yeah. trelawney mm-hmm. okay so then that would mean that that umbridge probably isn't fishing for information oh no it's just yeah I don't think so. Right. Makes total sense. Okay. Well, the rest of her, um, you know, <laughs> inspection, <laughs> I guess, goes just fine. Of course, Umbridge is like, predict something for me. And Trelawney's like, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 um, um, I see dark things in your future, right? Is that, she says something. Yeah, yeah it's her, like her default of something grave is going to happen to you. Something grave, right. That's the word I was looking for. Which is for. great because it's yet another one of Trelawney's false predictions that comes true. Yeah. Okay, so earlier in the chapter, I think it was, yeah, it was the beginning of this chapter when they were talking about the inspections, Ron grins and is like, oh man, I'd love to see Umbridge try and inspect McGonagall. And then, then, boom, it happens. Okay. (laughs) My homegirl slams her down. (laughs) Yeah, so like, like how convenient for us that we get to see this. Um, Yeah, McGonagall is just like, STFU, Umbridge, like... (laughs) <laughs> done and the whole passage is just amazing um, oh my god i love her i love her i love her <laughs> god she's perfect i feel like michael should do the voices oh and- <laughs> do you want me to read it yeah Let's well so one of us can do the narration if you do the voices well, we I should don't... definitely read this passage let's see wait so which page is that on 320 320 the u.s edition all right Let's for see. those following along <laughs> so where are we where are we starting at? Um <clears throat> hem hem. <laughs> I think that's a good place to start. There's a bunch of those on the page. Oh well <laughs> There's like oh, hem right, hems all right. over the page. <laughs> <laughs> hem hems all over the place. That's um, great. Lots of hem hems. Which hem hem um, would you like to start at? The second one is fine probably, yeah. Okay. Who wants to narrate? I will narrate. Okay, go for it. <laughs> said Professor Umbridge. 
Yes? Said Professor McGonagall, turning round, her eyebrows so close together they seemed to form one long, severe line. I was just wondering, Professor, whether you received my note telling you of the date and time of your inspect. Obviously, I received it, or I would have asked you what you're doing in my classroom, said Professor McGonagall, turning her back firmly on Professor Umbridge. Many of the students exchanged looks of glee. As I was saying, today we shall be practicing the altogether more difficult vanishment of mice. Now the vanishing spell... I wonder... Said Professor McGonagall in cold fury, turning on Professor Umbridge. How you expect to gain an idea of my usual teaching methods if you continue to interrupt me. You see, I do not generally permit people to talk when I am talking. Professor Umbridge looked as though she had just been slapped in the face. She did not speak, but straightened the parchment of her clipboard and began scribbling furiously. You know what I really wanted to tweet out today? Because I, you know, I make those little, like, pictures with the quotes on them and stuff. And I really just wanted to put out there that McGonagall verbally bitch slaps Umbridge because yeah. that's totally what she does. <laughs> and I love her. That's my homegirl. That's Caleb's homegirl. That's right. So just claps for McGonagall. She's out there. She's still alive, right? She must be. Has to be. Yes. I'm sorry. That was so morbid. I apologize. No. I I still chat, so it's it's cool. Yeah, I just can't think about her not being with us. But um, (laughs) I had a Noah moment when I was reading as well. Because they are vanishing mice. And at the end of the class, Ron holds a long, wriggling... Mouse tail and drops it in the box, and um, I just had to know a Noah moment because where do the mice go? Where do the wiz- they go? They go to the wizard space. What's the wizard space? Didn't you guys come over that wizard space where it's just like where vanished things come and go? Maybe like people's half eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those stay behind. It's this is different from the ghost world. I'm assuming that because Ron is actually still holding the tail and it's moving, that is... Well, no, that wouldn't necessarily be the same because the concealment charm is different. Wait, isn't the question that the Ravenclaw Tower door asks McGonagall is where do vanished things go? Yes. Okay, into everything, which is into nothing. So that's Which is into non-being. Into non-being, which is to say everything. There's your answer. (laughs) Okay, well, so it just floats solved. out there like the force. There you go. Oh, nice. Maybe it feeds. Maybe it feeds to the force. Maybe Metachlorians. Ugh, Metachlorians. I think we've just figured out the secret to the universe. Vanished. Star, Star Wars and Harry Potter are mixed together. Yep. You're welcome, crossover people. <laughs> <laughs> so the next inspection and the final one we get to see in this chapter is of Professor Grubbly Plank, which, of course, we know she's filling in for Hagrid. (laughs) Um, And this is where Umbridge is actually super fishing for information because the first thing that she says is, "Um, so, where's Hagrid? Tell me about where Hagrid is because, oh, Dumbledore is not going to tell me because, oh, I'm a little bee and don't deserve to know. (laughs) And I love that Grubbly Plank is like, sorry, I actually really don't know either. And I really hope that I know she doesn't know, but I hope that she does know and is just same, being, right? Like not telling 
umbrage. I know that's probably not the case, but... Well, that goes back to our discussion from a few weeks ago about how much the staff knows. Right. Um, I kind of felt like this confirms that she doesn't, in fact, know or care. <laughs> like, yeah. she's yeah. just temporarily employed. She's getting money for it. That's all she cares about. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a good thing that Dumbledore, like, hasn't told them. But mm-hmm. secretly, I, 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 I wish that she's being rebellious right now. It would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would be. Um, and also, as Caleb pointed out in the doc here, it shows that Hagrid's actually a pretty great teacher because the students all answer um, Umbridge's questions properly. And um, and Grubbly, Grubbly Plank points out that they don't have much left to go over for right. their owls. Right. If it wasn't for Malfoy being a dick, as Malfoy you know generally is, <laughs> um, then, I mean, we know she's you know prejudiced against Hagrid, but he might not have uh, gotten sacked, I suppose. Well, but knowing Umbridge, she's probably just being like, oh, Grubbly Plank taught them everything that they needed to know in the short few weeks or months that they've been here, and she could just right. pretend Hagrid didn't teach them anything. Yeah. Right. Well, and she isn't this where she trips up poor Neville? And in his answer, because he's he's trying to... He's also trying to join in with giving a good answer, and Umbridge... Is like so you're you're scared of the animals and of Hagrid and I was like no God that's not what I meant. <laughs> I don't think that happens in this chapter, but I yeah, think that's that's when Hagrid ha- is being that's um, right. That's when Hagrid comes inspected. Back. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, so she finds you, a way. Yeah, but I do love that poor Harry gets another detention just because he's like <laughs> Malfoy is stupid. Basically, and she's like well, oh Harry boom. Would. <laughs> detention. Harry was stupid, though. He needs to just shut up. <laughs> I, I I love that. Mo- it was a. It's so well written. I love that moment where Ron and Hermione are just like, uh, like right next yeah. to him. He's done it again. Face palm. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much, she did everything but writing that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. Speaking of Hermione, um, she and Umbridge have uh, a lot to do with each other in this in this chapter. Um, you know, obviously it starts back in the class when oh, Umbridge yeah. is like, books out and read, but Hermione's like, oh, ho, ho, wait a minute, I've read the entire book. <laughs> and uh, she's like, quiz me. I dare you. Come on, bring it on. And Umbridge is like, actually impressed. Yeah. Which, you know, despite herself. And, um, but won't even discuss what mm-hmm. Hermione wants to talk about, which I think is super telling. About oh, yeah. exactly how much control the ministry wants over everything. Yeah, they don't want them to have their own opinions. They want to just drill it into them and brainwash them into thinking that this is how everything is. Yeah. Well, and to give her her due, just as much as McGonagall does such a great job of shutting Umbridge down, Hermione, in her own way, does an excellent job as well. Um, Umbridge seemingly wins the argument, but she wins it by just saying we're not going to talk anymore and which is not a good ending to an argument and you don't really win when you say that um hermione has blatantly pointed out all of the flaws in the book in one go um the smartest of her class to actually bother to read the whole horrible thing memorize it and then recite it back to umbridge that's exceedingly Uh, impressive so many like good verbal bitch slaps in this chapter mm-hmm. yes umbridge gets taken to task quite a bit in this chapter she does which is but good because this is just the beginning of her taking over right 
every time I, I know this is bad and we're skipping way ahead, but every time I think of Umbridge um, and like her her just do's or whatever, all mm. I can think about is a scene in Monty Python where they're like clapping the shells together <laughs> <laughs> and the horses and then the coconuts. The coconuts. Yes, yes, the coconuts. And then Humbridge getting all terrified because of the horse noise. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. Anyway. Um, but she does kind of a, w- a little bit win because, of course, Harry is like, oh, but don't forget that Lord Voldemort lived out the back of Quirrell's head. And whoops, more freaking detention for Harry. Oh, That's I found it funny guy. that Umbridge, that Quirrell's even mentioned. This is the first mention we've had of Quirrell in a long time. Yeah, and it's also like the first time we get a good idea of someone commenting on his teaching ability because... Mm-hmm. You know, in the first book, the only thing we really get out of Defense Against the Dark Arts is that Quirrell is stuttering a lot. We don't get a lot of his, like, actual teaching practices. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. That was, I thought, that, I, I found it fascinating in that same way, too, because it's just, I guess, thinking back to it, Sorcerer's Stone is such, despite, you know, where the, the places it eventually goes in the end, it still has a pretty light tone. So it's just kind of funny to be back referencing something that was so light. Um in something like Order, which is so heavy. Um, yeah, I mean, considering Quirrell basically burst into flames <laughs> without the flames. <laughs> that he yeah. died, that he just dropped dead, yeah, in the dungeons. Yeah. No, it's it, it's, it's just funny to have that callback to Quirrell of all people. Because yeah. I don't think the fandom really pays much attention to Quirrell and his contributions to the series. So, of course, you know, Harry's detention um, leads to him coming back to the common room with, like, insane deep cuts from that devil quill that she has. <laughs> um, I I laughed, and this is bad. I laughed when Ron was like, I suggested poison to get rid of Umbridge. I don't know. <laughs> that just seems awfully morbid for Ron, is all I'm saying. Maybe not. You know, he is kind of the dark horse of the group. But, um... So, you know, Hermione, due to her argument with Umbridge earlier, is like, so guys, we should just, you know, like, learn this stuff ourselves in our free time, because we have so much of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, of course, naturally, Harry should teach us, because, hello, he's super confident in his skills, like, is completely calm, and would definitely be a great teacher. Yeah. And, you know. Really patient, too. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, and very rational and, um, you know, emotionally balanced, so. Hey, come come on now. <laughs> what? Is that not all true? I, I think you're being a little hard on him. <laughs> Hermione. On, I'm, the one that de- I'm the one that defends Harry in this book, we know that, but, like, he doesn't well, exactly have all the qualities of a good teacher. Well, I, it, but he has the main requirement that none of the others do have. So experience, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Uncanny suppose. skill. Well, in a weird way, and even though Hermione's not perhaps outright saying it, she's kind of implying that this could be good therapy for Harry, <laughs> which it is. Yeah, in the end. <laughs> so it also helps him pick up the ladies. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, she should have started the argument off with so. How can we get you and Cho Chang in a room together? <laughs> Here is my proposal. <laughs> oh boy, that would have worked better, that probably. M- might have gone somewhere. 
<laughs> because, yeah. you know, as we know, Harry starts to freak out and he's yelling about how, like, unspecial and not talented he is. And <laughs> Ron and Hermione are just standing there, like, grinning, mm. which, I don't know, a little mean. Until he really but, explodes. Yeah, and stands up and bursts that the bowl of what the Mertlap essence. Mertlap yeah. essence. Man, give it to Ron and Hermione because if that was me and someone shouted at me and like and shouted in my face like that, I would be deuces in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was your best friend. Yes. Don't ever talk to me <laughs> like that ever. Listeners, well, take note. <laughs> and it goes to such a. It, it, it's it's that this sure escalated quickly. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it's that explosive temper of Mm -hmm. his, Mm -hmm. which I think it even says in there is like so close to the surface these days. Mm -hmm. So, but there's a line where, you know, Hermione finally says Voldemort's name and it says that that's the only thing that has calmed Harry. Hmm. Is that just because... Why? I think it's because he knows she's taking it really seriously because she never uses his name and she's she said it. So she knows that they really need this to be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. So he realizes that she's just trying to help everyone mm. and that he's the best medicine for it. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that I think maybe just on the reread, at least for me, it, it, it didn't quite have the effect that it first did when I first read it, just because the movies tried to do the same thing, but because Hermione does do the whole thing where she's like Voldemort, and I'm like, eh, you don't really talk about him that much anyway. Um, yeah, it's not as powerful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas here, of course, Hermione has frequently used you must mom be named, um, so it does pack a little more punch in that way. Um, <clears throat> and I'm channeling Noah again here just because. Um, he and I talked about this very briefly, and um, <laughs> he commented on the whole, like, how Harry was calm, and he's like, maybe it's Voldemort listening in through the Horcrux. So, I know that's not legit, I just had to throw it out there, because, you know, he's not here. Crazy no, Noah theories. Yeah, crazy Noah theories, they're, they're well, all around us, like the Force, they're all around us. <laughs> well, and in tandem with that, I'm sure there will be discussion on the main site informs about how much of Harry's behavior, even in this moment, is influenced by the Horcrux, because we, I'm sure we will keep coming back to that um, yeah. throughout the, pretty much until the end of Deathly Hallows, of how much of Harry is the Horcrux, and how much is just Harry being Harry. Right. So, I mean, the chapter ends, you know, shortly thereafter. Hermione gets him to agree to at least think about it, and um, he kind of, he laments his outburst and um goes to bed happy but with a hurting hand yeah and kind of sulky too though yeah well always always yeah (laughs) that's that's harry that's (laughs) that's our boy so so there you go that's uh the end of chapter 15 of order of the phoenix and since we are at the end of the chapter, that means it is time for this week's podcast question of the week. All right, so here's the question. While Umbridge is unquestioningly horrible, does Hogwarts need a more rigorous method of evaluating teaching practices? What do you think is used now, if anything? And what should be the happy medium between previous practices and those that Umbridge brings with her new position? So basically, we're wanting to know all about 
how should teachers be better evaluated at Hogwarts? Because we clearly know some of them are not up to par. We should let McGonagall do it always. Everything. <laughs> yeah, everything. So if you head over to our website, our main website, alohomore.mugglenet.com, you'll see the question and leave us your responses, and you may end up on the show next week. Right. And, you know, just to wrap up, as always, we want to thank Megan so much for joining us. We hope you had a amazingly fun umbrage time. You're very welcome, and I did. It was more fun than I thought. I was less nervous. Oh, good. Oh, good. There's only going to be a couple thousand people listening to it so yeah <laughs> but you've already recorded it now so now i don't have to worry i'll be sure to point her out to you guys at leakicon for those of you that are going <laughs> so that you can meet her and make her feel really welcome yeah. put a giant we'll call her out at the panel neon sign. Oh, joy we won't do that <laughs> we're, we're just kidding and megan can you remind the listeners of the websites that you work for and run Yes, so I run both Magical Menagerie, which is a general Harry Potter site, and Matthew-Lewis.com, which is Matt's only recognized fan site. So, yay. Yeah, Matt hugged her at the red carpet in Orlando. <laughs> oh, you lucky, lucky girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he knows her, so that was a cool moment. And it's also so- in the closing scenes of the NBC's Making of Diagon Alley special. It is, and it's in their wrap-up video, too, on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh that, so that was you getting the hug. My brother and I yes. watched that. <laughs> yeah. So be jelly, people, be jelly. <laughs> well, uh, if you would like to be on the show, just like Megan, we can't guarantee a Matthew Lewis hug for you, but <laughs> we, can, we can at least have you on with us for many virtual hugs. Uh, to find out how you can be on the show with us, head over to our website and check out the Be On The Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. If you, we just we ask that you have a set of headphones and a microphone so that you can actually talk to us. Uh, nothing too fancy, just so we can make sure we hear you in good quality. And of course, in the meantime, if you want to keep in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at alohomoramn, facebook.com slash Dumbledore. Tumblr at MN Alohomora Podcast. Of course, our phone number is 206-GO-ALBIS, 206-462-5287. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Tons of you are doing that, so thank you a bajillion times over. We super appreciate that. And, of course, follow us on Snapchat at MN underscore Alohomora and Audioboo. It is free. All you need is an internet connection and a microphone. You can record the message directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com. And, um, yeah, keep it under 60 seconds because, again, if you play a super long one, we can't play it on the show. So, um, yeah, thanks. We want to hear your theories on past episodes, upcoming episodes, all of that. So send them in, please. And thank you. Thank you. And make sure you check out our store, which you can find from the main Alohomora website, which has a lot of different products, even products for your pets, so that they will enjoy the Alohomora swag. Um, thank you for all of your feedback on what you want in the store. And now there are new items in the store. Yay. So go check them out because you will want them for the summer. Yeah. Also, <laughs> there are ringtones that are free and available on the website. Just check those out. Yeah. The flip-flops are still in the store. Just for yes. the <laughs> yeah. So buy those up, people. Buy them up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and of course, don't forget about our Alohomora app which is available, as we always say, seemingly worldwide. We haven't heard any uh, words to the contrary yet. Uh, prices vary depending on your location. 
Uh, the app includes transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. So make sure to download that and check it out. But in the meantime, we are all det- in detention for speaking out in Umbridge's class. So we better go. Uh, <laughs> ugh, I'm, I'm skipping detention. You're skipping detention? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Michael Harley. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 92 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore, but do not speak while I am speaking. maybe not deserving of prefect status but i'll let that oh my god are we gonna hate on him for that forever